0: My name is Jonathan Martin, and you are listening to the ZeitCast. Welcome back, y'all. You can do anything for 40 days. You can do anything for 40 days. That's my refrain right now. That's the invitation. That, in my estimation, is the Linton invitation to transformation. You don't have to give me your whole life. Can you just give me 40 days? Can you start somewhere? Can you start where you are? This message preached at Fillmore United Methodist Church, first Sunday in Lent. has some overlap with the Ash Wednesday message, but maybe we need the overlap. can establish context a little bit more. There are plenty of things that I don't know what I think about in the world, myself, but I tell you, I believe in this an invitation. I believe in this journey into the wilderness. I believe in this journey of transformation. I think it's a journey for you right here, right now, right where you are. Let's get on to the wilderness, shall we? Thanks for being here. Turn now all the way to the text. I just want to point out a couple things first. Mark 1 is, uh, and I guess this is true really of all of Mark's gospel compared to the other uh, synoptic gospels, certainly John. Mark is the starkest, Mark is the shortest. Where other gospels will give us all kinds of details, uh, Mark gives us very little. This is the most bare bones account of Jesus in the wilderness that we have. Uh, Mark does not detail the three temptations in the wilderness the way that Matthew or Luke's gospel does, but the things I'd want to especially draw to your attention, uh, as Mark gives us the basic just the facts, ma'am account, is note that in verse 12, and the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. While Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Satan does not draw Jesus into the wilderness. It is not Satan's plan for Jesus to be into the wilderness. He is not caught off guard. This is the spirit of God, the spirit of God himself that directs Jesus into the wilderness. He does encounter temptation there, but it is the spirit who places Jesus into this place. I like this part because I think this little clause is unique to Mark's gospel. That for all the things that Mark leaves out, I love that he includes that he was with a wild beast and anybody who's ever attempted any kind of a fast, anybody who's ever uh, given up food for a little while or given up something else that you love uh, knows that wilderness spaces are places where sometimes you will see some wild beasts. Sometimes those wild beasts are in us. These uh, beasts could be anything from hunger to uh, lust to any and all like we, We definitely confront the wild beasts when we're in the wilderness. Um, So Jesus does run into some wild things while he is in the wilderness. And yet I love that Mark includes this part, that the angels waited on him. Yes, there are wild beasts in the wilderness to be sure. Yes, there are um, devils to be confronted and to be fought. But I also love that the wilderness is the place There are angels that meet us and minister to us that we would not have connected to any other way. We would not have received this comfort any other way if not for the wilderness. Yes, the wilderness is a place of testing, a place of temptation, a place of trial, but there's unique comfort in the wilderness. There are comforters that we would not have known. Um, I had a silly thought even talking about Brian coming next week that like when Jesus says that I've not left you without a comforter, that do we have another, I'm not leaving you without a pastor, another pastor will be coming. But there is a, that promise of the spirit. Um, there is something I think specific about this call to the wilderness that God draws us out in the wilderness, but is telling us when you get there, you're not going to be alone. You might get lonely, but you won't be alone. I will be with you in the wilderness. I will send my angels to minister to you. In this wild place. So this week in particular, as we begin this journey into the wilderness, and we're now officially en route since Ash Wednesday. Now there's 40 days um, where everything happens. And now we're we remember that Jesus is on this journey, but we're on this journey. Jesus was in the wilderness, now we're in the wilderness. And I'm finding myself today um, just with a flicker of images uh, from my week. That have marked the beginning of this little season for me. Uh, for one on Wednesday, um, myself along with several other uh clergy in our area who were super generous to donate their time, we offered Ashes to go for our students out in front of Hoover Hall, uh, our main cafeteria there. And let me tell you, I've never done that before. I don't know if anybody else has had experience with something like Ashes to Go. All that meant is that we had the ashes on us, had a little station, little sign. Ash Wednesday, a little um, flyer that talked about what Ash Wednesday means and what Lent means. And for any students who wanted to take the ashes, we just gave it to them. And then just a very quick blessing, um, reminding them what Lent is about, and then to put the ashes on. Uh, From dust you came, to dust you shall return. And I'll tell you, that was that was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in a minute. There was something about students in the middle of their day, kind of in the flow of the day, just being willing or maybe curious enough to receive these ashes that remind us that we are mortal, that remind us that we are, in a sense, um, all dying, not to be morbid. That's part of what I find so strange about Lent is that we do remember that we're mortal. We do remember that we are flesh. We do remember that we have limitations. But I think in that, um, there's something really liberating about that. Uh, we do remember that we are dust. We do remember that our bodies don't go on forever. We do remember that we have limitations. And I think there's freedom in that. Uh, there's a very real way. And this is, I think, what the journey always is to the cross. The cross, this journey into descent and into death, is actually the only thing that can set us free. There's a strange way, a strange mystery to how God uses even this journey, and maybe especially this journey to death, into new life, into a fuller life than we ever could have anticipated. But good gracious, it was powerful to lay hands on the students and to remind them of their mortality, to share this very human moment, so out in public, so in the middle of things. Um, A little later that same day, I don't even know how this is all connected, they're just... This is my Lenten journey, and there's something in this for me. It was a little later that day that we hosted a listening session at the Center for Spiritual Life for our Muslim students and Dr. White, our president. And uh, it was just a really beautiful time and conversation. Our imam was here in the last couple of days, and we were part of a a little event on ethics at the Printle Institute for Ethics. And I've told people about this, the interfaith side of my work, that I've never felt more like a Christian. Then having the opportunity to serve my Muslim neighbors and to be able to serve our Buddhist neighbors and our Jewish neighbors and just really that um, was all kind of the same day. And it landed with uh, I preached at Gobind for their Ash Wednesday service that evening and thinking about and sitting with like, what does all this mean? Because and I'm putting this all this morning in context of the wilderness, but um, on Ash Wednesday, the lectionary texts are always the same. And they are the texts, um, like from Hosea, uh, or I'm sorry, from Joel, rather, that reminds us of the kind of fast that God is calling us to. That it is not about superficial religion. It is not about making a display. That it is for the sake of people being liberated. Um, on Ash Wednesday, we always look at the section in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of interesting because as Christians, ashes is a public uh, display. But we always have the text of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount reminding us that when you pray, to pray in secret, not to do it out on the street uh the way that uh that the teachers of the law do. You when you pray, go in secret. And when you give, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is is doing. It's all of that. And I was struck this week by how differently I hear those texts now than the way I would have heard them before the way I used to hear them because there was a time in my life when I heard all those texts as a kind of threat more so than invitation it makes all the difference in the world whether or not we read these kinds of texts as threat or as invitation when I was reading it as threat then when it was time to maybe uh I'm, I'm trying too fast. I'm trying to spend more time in prayer. I'm trying to give up something for Lent, whatever it might be. I was almost paralyzed by all the self-examination that was going on. Anybody else ever do that? Like, kind of get in your head about this stuff? Because then I start thinking, well, how do I know for sure that my right hand doesn't know what my left hand is doing? Or if I'm doing this thing, how do I know I'm not doing it for the applause of other people? How am I not? How do I know I'm not doing it to get? um Attention. How do I know that I'm not being sincere enough? What if I'm only 75% sincere, but 25% not? What if I'm 80% conscious of God and 20% um, concerned about what somebody else will think? Have I thoroughly examined my motives enough? Have I parsed them? Have I really gotten to the bottom of this thing? How do I know for sure? And now, whenever I read those texts, and I honestly think this is just, um, this is about proximity, not like, oh, I'm especially close to God. It's just over time you learn the character of God and you hear things differently. You know, the way like um, we have a number of people in this church who have been in love for a long time. What is the, what is the longest marriage we have here? Who's been married the longest? We know that? Because I think we have some plus 50 years. Is that right? Okay. See, that's amazing. So like when you, when you've been married that long, I have to think. Um, you interpret things pretty differently than you do when you first get started. Like there are a lot of things for one that don't have to be spoken. Um, just a glance, a look in your direction can say a whole lot of things. Um, lovers whisper, right? They don't we might shout at each other on occasion, not great, but lovers can whisper to each other. You don't you you already can finish each other's sentences. You know what the other person is thinking. And that's my experience with a lot of these texts, is that I feel a little closer to the mystery than I was, And so now there's like, oh, I, I, it, there's a different tone to some of these passages. Let's save this for another time, but things that used to um, threaten me now, I'll feel like a playfulness in them. In the Gospels in particular, I'm always struck by the playfulness of Jesus. Um, if you don't believe Jesus is playful, by the way, uh, I invite you to check out The Road to Emmaus, because that. It's truly a hilarious story. Um, the two disciples, you know, are having this whole conversation about what just happened to Jesus and say to Jesus, who they've not yet recognized. Are you the only one here who doesn't know what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus responds, what things? What, whatever do you mean? Oh, something Something happened. Somebody was crucified. Please tell me more. I mean, there's such a wonderful sense of play to Jesus in that way. The point is that God. there's a tone, there's a sound. And now when I hear those texts, I just don't hear them with the same tone, same sound. Now here's what I hear. When the prophet Joel is warning me to not let my fast be superficial and not let it be for other people and not let it be for outward display. Or when Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and talks about not uh, praying on the street corners and like all of these things. Now I hear not threat, but invitation. Because really, I think the spirit of all of that is this. If you do these things, and you do them, and you're looking over your shoulder to see what somebody else will say or think, well, it won't help you. It just won't help you. There's no merit in any of these activities. It doesn't matter if somebody else notices you. It doesn't even matter. And I feel like this is a fine but important distinction. We don't do these things to impress God. Or to show God, I'm really serious. What would that even mean? Now, I can't help but hear the invitation between. God doesn't want me to waste my time or God's time. So instead of making this about external things, instead of trying to impress anybody, instead of um, trying to appear spiritual and religious, which has no value, will not enhance my life, will not enhance yours, uh, none of that matters. None of that really works. No, no. Let this just be about me and you. Let this be about us. I I drove by a text a few weeks ago, one of my favorites really, from Hosea 2. We're in the middle of this long um, way that God is pronouncing judgment in the fieriest and harshest ways. That then all of a sudden the text shifts and God says to his people, I'm going to draw you back out into the wilderness. And I'm going to allure you. Really could best be translated, I'm going to romance you. It's this idea that I'm going to take you back out to where we had our first date. Out here in the wilderness. Think about the wilderness. Not just as the place, again, of temptation and trial and test. That's part of it. But the Spirit sends us into the wilderness because God has something for us there. Think about David as a shepherd in the field, spending long days and nights contemplating the goodness of God, writing these songs, David in the fields, just overwhelmed by God's goodness. And I mean, this is where when we read about David being a man after God's own heart. That's what all that is about, is that David was the kind of person who could just spend days and nights and weeks just being in the fields, watching his flocks, and feeling connected to God. There is a ministry that comes to us in the wilderness. There is a comfort that comes to us in the wilderness. We've maybe had angels who've been following us around all this time, who are watching out for us, but we are not aware of them until we get into the wilderness, where we now actually are aware that we need that comfort. Now we're denying ourselves in some way or another, and we're confronting the real us, and yeah, there might be some wild beasts that come alongside with that. And that might be scary. That might be hard. Some things might come up that, uh, in us or around us that might be difficult. But also the ministry of these angels that we would not have experienced any other way unless we had come out into the wild where God is drawing us first. So that this morning for this first Sunday in Lent is my invitation to you. God is calling us out into the wild, and Satan might be there, but this is not Satan's trap. This is not Satan's plan. This is God's plan. This is God's desire. God wants to meet us in the wilderness. And if we can see past just being fixated on the fact that there is trials and temptations here, to see that there's also... Look at all the things that happen on the other side of the wilderness. It is out of the wilderness... Uh, I'm thinking specifically here in Matthew's gospel, that when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, it specifically talks about how he comes out of the wilderness in power. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he is full of life. Uh, he, he may have confronted death. He, he's confronted the devil, but he's energized. He's ready to go out of his time in the wilderness. How many people will get healed? How many lives will be changed? Because Jesus obediently follows the call of the spirit into the wilderness There's all these wonderful things that are on the other side. And I love that there's this way that in Lent then, it's like God is saying to us, hey, can you just give me 40 days? How about you just give me 40 days? Um, I don't know about you, but like I kind of, um, most every day of my life, I have grand ideas at some point or another about how I'm going to change my whole life today. Did anybody else do this? I have at least a few minutes each day where I get, uh, I have a burst of energy and I think, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it could be anything. It could be about, uh, on a, on a whim. I'm going to clean the house really good. I'm never going to let it get dirty again, whatever it might be. It's like, I'm always going to change my life. Today is the day that I will no longer eat any of this, um, uh, wonderful Indiana pie from Burton Betty's. And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm off of pie. I am off of pie now. Like maybe not for good, but for a good long time. And then the next day, maybe not so much. But I always start with like this. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. My whole life changes today. Everything I will never, I'm going to be healthy every day from here forward. It would be overwhelming if I felt like the invitation to the wilderness was change your whole life forever. Decide to give up carbs forever. That's not going to happen, by the way. There's a reason that Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. What does that tell you? God is in the carbs. I'm not giving up carbs forever. Um, There are all kinds of commitments I have made. I'm going to spend this much time in prayer every day like forever. One of the things I love about Lent, Remember, this starts with Ash Wednesday. We remember that we're mortal. We remember that we're dust. We remember that we're human. The invitation is not to change your life forever. It is a way that God says to us, how about you just give me 40 days? Can you, could you show up at the same time, at the same place for 40 days to pray? Could you maybe just, in one area of your life, lay something down to give me space? to be able to move and to be able to surprise you, whatever that might be. Um, I'm not legalistic about Lenten practices at all, but I do think they're a wonderful invitation. I I would kind of encourage you with that. If if you decide that you want to yield something for Lent, my encouragement with anything like that will always be, let it be something that makes sense. I I don't like, uh, a lot of times I feel like I've given up stuff that God is not all that interested in. I'm not trying to go hold another story. I'm landing the plane, which y'all know this is where sometimes I don't have, of all the things that are in me, uh, I told some folks the other day, you might think that's funny, that um, I used to self-identify as a hillbilly Pentecostal. And then I realized that's, that that's basically what Methodists are. And I'm like, this is why I should be Methodist. It's kind of like right in between high church and low church, it's like all the things, this makes so much sense. Anyway, um, but I, but I love that when I'm landing the plane that I can be, it sounds like a Southern Baptist preacher, you know, i can have like three or four closings and like, it just, it just keeps close, but this is the actual close. I, I just, if you, if you give up anything for Lent, my, I think the invitation there is don't, not to make, don't, not to make something random. When I was a kid, my dad got really sick and it's long story. We thought he might die. And at the time, my favorite thing in the world was my professional wrestling action figures, and I remember kneeling down in that little chapel in the hospital, and I told God I would never play with my wrestlers again if He would heal my dad. Now, I can appreciate now, as a grown person, the sincerity of that prayer and the sweetness of that. But I remember it was my dear godly mom who told me a few months, you know, later, as in, and Dad, thankfully, God had restored and he was doing great and things are better. My, it was my mom who told me, you know, something, I, John, I don't think God is really all that interested in your wrestling figure. Like, I think, I don't think this needs to be. And then, you know, of course then the way I thought then it was the whole thing. Like what if I play with them and then my dad gets sick because I did, because I still, I thought that God was that way. The point of all that is to say, I really think oftentimes we give up things that God's not necessarily interested in. I mean, like, you know, wouldn't it be more powerful to fast criticism for 40 days maybe uh that's off the top than some like random thing, oh I'm giving up dark chocolate. Fine, that can be good. There can be value in those things. But I think the spirit of Lent for me more is uh oh, what are the things that are weighing me down? What are the ways that I'm not operating really in synchronicity with God's spirit? What like what like how can I do that? Um how, how can I Open up space for more of the life of the spirits inside of me. What might that look like? What is the invitation? Whatever that invitation looks like for you, I just want to send you into the wilderness today with the encouragement. Because I know in a way that we're always in the wilderness, but we're being intentional about it right now. It's the spirit that's drawing us there. God has a plan and design for the wilderness. God has angels that he wants to send to minister to us. There is grace in the wilderness. There is goodness in the wilderness. So with that in mind, let's uh let's pray. So, God, we just ask you now, as we get ready to go into the wild, into the wilderness, we don't know what wild beasts we might meet there, but we don't know what angels will meet us there either. So would you just give us the courage today? to follow you into the wilderness place. And whatever it is that we need to lay down, whatever it is that we need to yield, whatever it is that we need to offer over. Um, sometimes I'm, I just feel like you keep showing me, and I think probably showing all of us, that a lot of the things that we need to yield aren't even things that are bad for us. It's just that we're, we're holding on too tightly with clenched fists. And you want to teach us how to live with, with open hands where we can be free. Thank you that the wilderness is a place that is given to us for our liberation. As you are the God of the Exodus, and you are always about that terrible and beautiful business of setting us free. Help us to follow you faithfully now into the wall. the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. page fives. Sorry 568. Christ for the world we sing. We're gonna sing verses one and three.